You are listening to episode six of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Tomas Mensinger from FieldTennis.net. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey guys, hello and welcome to the show. I'm really excited to bring you guys an interview with Tomas Mensinger from FieldTennis.net. I'm sure a lot of you have seen his fantastic free videos and uh, courses that he has uh, worked really hard on. And he has a really unique view of the game. And in this interview, he really exposes a lot of thinking uh, by most instructors that aren't necessarily optimal for our progression in the game of tennis. Uh, Tomas talks about a lot of things that will help you improve your game uh, quicker, such as how to simplify tennis. Um, because, you know, these days, tennis can be uh, certainly be overcomplicated. Um, there's a lot of aspects of the game, but uh, there's ways to approach it that can kind of minimize confusion and maximize results. So that's what Tomas talks about. And he also discusses other things like optimizing the environment in which we learn tennis and the importance of having an intention while hitting the ball, as well as his top mental mindset tips. So without further ado, let's dive straight into the content. Uh, and I really hope you enjoy my episode with Tomas today. Here he is. Hi, everyone. We're here with Tomas Mensinger, coach of FieldTennis.net. Uh, he is uh, from Slovenia, and he is a, a really fantastic coach who has put in a lot of great free content uh, for everybody to learn from. Uh, he's very passionate about the game, um, and he puts a, a very unique emphasis on, on the game uh, regarding uh, stressing feel and natural body movement. Just want to welcome Tomas to the show. Uh, Tomas, how are you doing today? Uh, very good. Thanks a lot, Merban. Thanks for having me. Really a pleasure. Oh, no, all the pleasure is mine. Thank you so much for talking with us. Um, I'm talking to you uh, from the U.S., and you're now in Singapore, which is a 13-hour time difference, I believe. Yes, yes. The magic of technology. I know. It's truly amazing. Uh, how, how is it over there? Uh, well, as usual, quite warm, but uh, lately a little bit uh, rainy and cooler, which is also nice, so uh, no problem with that. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, now, Tomas, you have a you know, very interesting background as far as how you got into the game. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you know, what sparked your passion for tennis and maybe what you were doing before tennis? Um, sure. Uh, actually, I played a lot of table tennis at first. We had this table uh, at home, so table tennis table, and I just played with my parents and my neighbors a lot. So probably I started when I was maybe seven years old, you know, just for fun. But uh, I really liked it, so I played a lot. And I also played a lot of sports outdoors with my friends, with my neighbors, um, soccer, basketball, stuff like that. So in the summer, I was just outdoors all the time, unknowingly developing good motor skills and hand-eye coordination that later uh, became very useful. So I started tennis maybe at the age of 12. Same, just playing with my parents. They played some tennis, but not super enthusiastically, just here and there. So I did get on a tennis court a few times with them, but I was not very happy about it because I was not successful because no one taught me anything. Mm -hmm. And that was still the age of very heavy wooden rackets, <laughs> which which were too heavy for me. 
so for a while I didn't play, but then my dad bought me a lighter racket, one of the first uh, graphite rackets. And uh, my neighbors, for some reason, started to play tennis. It was a big tennis boom in Slovenia. It was very popular. So everyone was playing a lot. And so I played with my neighbors, with my friends who were my age. And since I had a lighter racket and I've developed some skills by then, I was progressing quite quickly. So at the same time, I started to train volleyball. So that also helped me with developing good motor skills and hand-eye coordination. And so I started to play tennis better and better and then I really enjoyed it. So that was my, my start into tennis. Fantastic. And uh, it's very interesting. I, I saw on your About Me page that you've played volleyball professionally for uh, 16 years. Is that right? Yes, yes. Ah, that's amazing. So did you uh, you just played in the uh, in Slovenia in the leagues there, was it? Or? Yes, yes. Slovenian leagues, yes. Oh, wow. And, and what, what do you think... Um, uh, from playing volleyball, what, what in particular do you think helped uh, you in your tennis game and teaching that you learned from playing professionally? Uh, I think for one thing, I mean, one thing that we can start discussing uh, that's not, you know, that popular in tennis community is balance, right? Everyone talks about technique a lot, but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but balance is crucial for tennis. And in volleyball, if you can picture... Uh, a receiver receiving a serve, then you can, if you can imagine how that looks like, you know, the feet are very wide apart, there's this low posture, the hands are in front, mm-hmm. and you're just trying to bump the ball towards the setter who is going to then pass the ball to a spiker. So I spent a lot of time in that position, and we had to move very quickly left, right to block the incoming ball with our body so I learned to adjust to the ball with my body rather than with my arm with my arms or with the arms which is what I see a lot with uh, recreational tennis players so of course it's easier to adjust to the ball with your arm and stretch and lean but of course in the process you are uh, losing balance. So I think I subconsciously, through volleyball positioning and constant awareness of balance, I learned to move much better on a tennis court. So I think that's one thing. The other thing is that um, it's quite a quick sport, especially when you're receiving a, a fast serve or a fast spike. So you are trained to react very quickly uh, from the early age. And so you start to read the ball very early. So I, I had some good coaches in my career, luckily. And they were constantly reminding me to try and read the body of the spiker. Because once the ball is being hit by a spiker at the net, you don't have really much time to move yourself to the ball. So you try and anticipate based on their body position when they're in the air, how they orient themselves. You try and anticipate where they're going to spike and you try to move there in advance. So it's more like uh, you're trying to position your body in a way of the ball so that they hit you because many times you don't really have time to react. So you're just kind of a, <laughs> a target for, for them. <laughs> so you try to anticipate where should I place my target, meaning myself, so that they will hit it so we can hopefully save that ball. And so... Tennis, especially when you start, is quite a slow sport and you're not being forced to react very quickly. And uh, I think that was also one of the advantages where you learn to anticipate, read the opponent's position, read the opponent's body and, and try and anticipate the direction of their shot. That also helped me you know, react very quickly in tennis. And maybe lastly is... It sounds very obvious, but in volleyball, we must not allow the ball to touch the ground, right? So anytime the ball is flying, we are moving there to intercept it before it touches the ground. So volleys in tennis were very natural to me. Like It was very easy for my brain to calculate whether I have time to move 
to the net or not? Can I intercept the ball before it's going to fall down? Uh, whereas for most players, they spend so much time on the baseline and their mind is constantly waiting for the ball to bounce and then they react to it. So then they have troubles with volleys because they did not spend enough time trying to intercept the ball. So their judgment ability is not so good. So I think these were like the key advantages that you get with volleyball training. That's fantastic, Tomas. I really enjoy um, how you can compare uh, the principles that transfer from volleyball to tennis. I, I definitely can see now uh, more clearly how you know, when you're receiving a serve, it's all, uh, a volleyball serve is just like uh, receiving a, a serve in tennis. And you, and it certainly was fantastic training for you to, because you, I, I know that you're uh, very intently focused on the serve. And, and since it's such a quick reaction that you need, you have to uh, focus more, even more intently than I'm sure most people do on, uh, like you said, just uh, the the body language of the person and and figure out calculate where they may be going and anticipating mm. um and that's all just very very wonderful and it's good to hear them, those principles transferring over um so tomas if you could um you know sum up your philosophy on the game of tennis uh what, what would you say um do you mean just like my philosophy of me playing tennis or my coaching philosophy? I think more so your coaching philosophy. Hmm. Because I, I know uh, that, I'm sorry, I know that, you know, you, you, you stress on the, the importance of, um, you know, feel, timing, rhythm, ball judgment, mm-hmm. and things like that. Yes, I think, uh, you know, personally, I think that tennis has been, uh, tennis instruction or tennis coaching has been... Um, overly complicated. Um, just recently I was reading about one coach instructing players, just as an example, where they need to hit the ball in order to make the ball go somewhere, right? So mm-hmm. if you want to make the ball go left, you need to hit it on the outside of the ball. So theoretically that's true, right? That's true. But, but we are just adding extra information to the mind like extra thought process that is completely unnecessary mm-hmm. because you can try with a complete beginner or someone that has never held a tennis racket. You give them the racket and you ask them to hit the ball left or right or up or down and they will do it instantly, right? So they can direct the ball. I mean, not accurately, but they can direct the ball left if they want this completely instinctive and natural to hit the ball, you know, on the outside to make it go left or on the inside to make it go right or to hit the ball under to make it go up. We don't have to tell that to players. So if we tell that to players, they are just simply going to add, you know, additional thought process to their mind and therefore they will have less brain capacity or let's say CPU capacity to calculate the ball's flight that's coming towards them and to make a decision and to make a, you know, to program a trajectory under which they want to send the ball away and so on. So this is a very difficult process that the brain has to do. And so any thought process unnecessary that we also tax the brain with is just going to mess up our main goal, which is to put the ball on the other side in a certain trajectory. So my philosophy is that, you know, let's simplify tennis to what it is as much as possible because it's difficult enough already. Uh, It's a very challenging sport, probably one of the most challenging out there. And I'm not saying because I'm tennis coach, but because I played a lot of sports. I played volleyball very seriously. I was also coaching volleyball for about six years. And it's not even close in terms of difficulty to what tennis is. Um, so another, another quick example of how difficult tennis is. If you imagine, if you take just two people that are not very sporty and you just take them off the street and you give them tennis rackets and you ask them to play, 
they can't put four balls over the net. They can't have a rally of four shots. Um, impossible from the baseline. They will not make it. If you take these two same people, you give them, let's say, table tennis. In a few minutes, they're going to have a little rally there. They're going to play slow, but they're going to have a rally. If you give them badminton rackets, they're going to play immediately. Uh, millions of people are taking badminton rackets and playing badminton on beach when they have fun. Mm-hmm. So they can play immediately. If you put them on a soccer field, you give them a ball, they can play soccer. Not very well, but they can play. You know what I mean? The game is not, uh, doesn't stop. So they might not pass accurately, but they can play. They can have fun. If you put them on a beach volleyball court, you take six people, just normal people, you give them a volleyball, three on each side. People play for recreation all the time on the beach, just normal people, and they can have fun. They're not super successful, but the game is going on. But you take the same people, you put them on a tennis court, the game immediately stops because they miss the ball. It goes in the net or it goes far out and it's game over. So in order to play tennis, to have some fun, you already need to have really good skills in terms of judging the ball, moving to the ball, timing, feel that you don't hit it too hard. And so it's a very challenging sport and we have to, you know, keep it simple and allow people to learn the fastest way possible without adding extra complexity to it because it's challenging anyway. So my philosophy is to try and find the simplest way to teach tennis and to, you know, to teach people that their mind is a supercomputer that is learning very fast if you just leave it alone for a while and you don't push it too much and you're patient a little bit because with every shot your brain gets feedback, your body gets feedback and it starts to adjust. So I'm going more in this way and also pointing out the key challenges in tennis which is you know, technique is maybe just something without life. So how do you move your arm? It's not very difficult to teach. But when do you move your arm and that you have to be at the same time balanced and that your racket angle is at the right angle, that's very difficult to do. And so players need to focus on these uh, key points in tennis in order to play well and not so much on technique. I'm not saying technique is not necessary, but it is not the answer. It is only a small part of the answer. So hopefully that clarifies a little bit oh, my no. views. Oh, Tomas, no, that's fantastic advice, and I appreciate uh, you know your insight on, on the, the game. And um, one thing that I'm wondering, you know, there's a lot of players who, <clears throat> as you alluded to, They've been giving, given all these uh, technical advices and, you know, put your arm this way and do this and that. And h- how do these players kind of, um, how can they settle down and just, uh, you know, what do they focus on to simplify the stroke and help them um, play better? How can, they, um, how can they do this? Yeah, so, okay. I mean, if, if technique is really incorrect, but it's difficult for the player to assess that if they don't have experience, right? So, but somehow if they can assess or ask some coach, like if my technique is really, really incorrect, then they should work on technique. But when, when we work on technique as coaches, you know, we take a basket of balls and we isolate the situation. We feed very nice balls to the player because we don't want to tax the brain with with uh, judging a difficult incoming ball. So when the brain is taxed with judging a very difficult incoming ball, then you can imagine the brain like a CPU of, a, of the laptop or of your desktop. And so if the CPU is overly taxed, then if you try to open a new word process, processor, you will see that it takes much longer than usual because your CPU cannot... Uh, put any more work into the thing that you want right now is already taxed with something else. Mm-hmm. And so it's similar with tennis. The, the most taxing thing for the brain in tennis is judging the ball and, and timing. So 
when we teach technique, we want to make it very easy for the brain to, to judge the ball. That's why we feed the ball with not too much topspin, with the same rhythm right into the strike zone so that the person can focus on the technique because their mind will not be on the ball. Their mind be on their body. What do they need to do differently with their body? And so that's how you work on technique. Now, when they play tennis with their friends, they will not be very successful in changing their technique because the balls that they will be receiving are going to make them move all over the court and they're going to hit a high ball, low ball, short ball, and so on. So they will constantly have to adjust so they have more than enough trouble with that. And they probably won't have enough you know, CPU capacity to also think about their technique at the same time. So when they play tennis like that, I would suggest they think more about in terms of playing the ball. So not thinking about their body, but about the ball. So if they hit in the net, they shouldn't think about, oh, I should swing more low to high or something like that, because that's completely unnecessary. They should think about, I need to aim higher, right? Mm -hmm. And if the ball goes too long, I need to make the ball go shorter. And if the ball goes out on the left side, then they should think I need to hit more to the right. So they should simply just try to, you know, adjust the targeting. Just And every ball they hit, they need to look at what they hit and then adjust the ball. So through that, they will actually unknowingly also correct their technique. Now, maybe I just want to point out this, that if you go to some recreational tennis tournaments of, let's say, veterans, older players, uh, you will see, or even younger ones, you will see that many times the winner of the tournament does not have the most beautiful technique, right? Right. Um, they are just the best players. So they, they can direct the ball in the right moment at the right place. So they're very good tacticians. They have very good feel. They are accurate. But they don't have the most beautiful technique. So the most perfect technique is not the answer at recreational level. Uh, level. It is at the pro level, but not at the recreational level. Um, so the reason why those players have are still accurate is because they've been practicing for a very long time. They've been playing a lot of matches and they can direct the ball with feel and good enough technique. And that's something that most recreational players should strive for uh, rather than perfection in technique. Now, the other thing I wanted to say is that as we are just trying to adjust the ball, meaning I want the ball to go higher, lower, more left, more right, we are unknowingly, unconsciously, slightly altering our technique because the laws of physics say that, you know, the ball, the certain trajectory of the ball is determined by a certain racket path and certain racket angle at contact. And so we cannot hit the right ball with wrong technique. Hmm. It's not possible. So wrong technique always produces wrong ball. So the ball is not clean, uh, hit cleanly. It does not have the right trajectory. It is not spinning properly, like completely horizontal axis. So if we manage to hit the right ball, then at that moment, the racket angle and the racket path were correct. So just something to think about. Now it is possible that the player was not the most relaxed, the most balanced and so on and so that is the next step for the player that once they are able to hit fairly right ball which means they have fairly good technique they need to relax and loosen up and breathe and so on so that their body is more malleable if you can imagine the body can adjust even more and so in long term their technique will develop and I know that because I did not have a single tennis lesson in my life and I can play pretty well. So I've passed all the coaching certificates. I've never had any corrections of my technique. So my technique is perfectly good for a tennis coach. And I probably was, a, let's say, a 6-0 level player in US NTRP rating. And I've never had a lesson in my life wow. of how to hit a stroke. And the reason why I learned, of course, I did practice in front of the mirror I was looking at my technique when I was young. But the main reason why my technique developed is because I played thousands of hours, thousands and thousands of hours. I was just hitting with my friends 
down the middle, trying to hit the ball that I needed to hit so that my friend could hit the ball back. And at the same time, being aware of certain things that were not in place yet. So I was aware when I was late on the ball. I was aware when I was off balance. I was aware when I didn't see the ball really well. I was aware of certain tightness in my body and so on. And through hours and hours of practice, I was eliminating or perfecting these uh, things that are not necessarily mechanical technique, but are the things that allow technique to develop. And so through that, I developed all my technique. So yes, I had some advantage when it comes to the serve because I was playing volleyball, so I was spiking the ball every day at least 200 times. So that's how I developed a good service motion that only needed to be adjusted a little bit for, the, for tennis. But when it comes to ground strokes or volleys or a backhand slice, I did not have one hour of instruction in my life and all my strokes developed through the process that I'm describing. So that's, that's why I can talk the way I talk because I know how the process works and I'm not the only one. I have a few friends that have really, really good technique and they are really high-level players that never had a lesson in their life. So the, to me, the concept of constantly correcting the mechanics of the stroke is not really true because I, uh, I am the proof of it and I'm not the only one. So yes, there is... Uh, an accelerated path of learning technique, but it's not the answer. So the answer is a combination with other things that are also very important in tennis. Yeah, Tomas, I really appreciate that. And I, I really I really think it's uh, almost revolutionary the way you're teaching tennis. And it's just, it's fantastic because um, I, people, they just get too bogged down on um, technique when they underestimate the ability of their body um, to just do a test that that is told you know if if, if somebody told them to throw the ball uh, throw a ball they they throw it without thinking and so I think a lot of times if players would just kind of focus like Tomas said on making the ball do what it wants uh, what the person wants to then then naturally their swing and everything will correct itself yes the, the only thing I want to add here is that you know I think we live in an age of impatience <laughs> right, right. <laughs> or instant gratification, right? So when you try to hit the ball in a certain place six times and it's not there yet, in this age and time, people get impatient, right? Mm-hmm. Now, this is a long-term process in the same way as is learning to play a piano a long-term process or learning to ski or anything like that, right? It's a long-term process. So, so you have to understand that, you know, there is no super quick fix here, but you are doing the right thing. It's the right process. So, for example, I played when I was young and it was the summer I didn't go to school. I would play minimum three hours a day, uh, maximum six hours a day, but my typical day was four or five hours. Hmm. So morning and afternoon, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, every day four or five hours of hitting the ball mostly down the middle with my friends, like 90% of the time, uh, not playing points, just hitting the ball and trying to make the ball do what I want. So just to give you some idea, because now these days people come to me and ask them, okay, so how much do you play? They play, oh, I play twice a week, one hour. So, you know, I played two hours per week on Monday from 9 to 11 a.m. And then in the afternoon, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So let's say I played between 25 and 30 hours per week in order to develop my strokes. And players now play two or three hours per week and they're expecting to play really well, right? That's impossible. So I just want to point that out that, you know, it's a lot of repetition and it's not being impatient. And for me, I got lost in the process because I was young and I wasn't really teaching. I wasn't thinking about the outcome. You know what I mean? So my outcome was I'm rallying with my friend and I want to give him a nice ball because if I give him a nice ball, he will give me a nice ball. 
If I give my friend a difficult ball, he was not good enough to compensate for that and give me a nice ball back. So if I missed a little bit, he missed a little bit, and then the rally was over. So most of the time, I was just trying to control the ball. The better I controlled the ball, the better my friend was able to control the ball, and then we got the rally going. So we just continue with that, just you know, increasing the speed of the shots, but the principle was the same. I want to control the ball, so I want to make the ball go where I want. And in the process, as I was playing many hours, if I was tight or tense on not doing it right, I would get very tired. So in the process, because I played a lot, I learned to be very economical, very efficient. So it was part conscious, part unconscious process. But this is how the strokes develop in this way. Now, these days, I see lots of adult recreational players, you know, hit a few balls and then they start playing for points. Now, that's very detrimental to the stroke production or their game because they're constantly under pressure. They cannot relax they cannot get into a groove because the whole point of competitive tennis is for someone to jerk you around so that you don't get into a groove. So how can you develop good strokes if you're you know, constantly under pressure running left, right, back and forward? So in order to develop strokes, you have to practice them in easy conditions at first so that things fall into place and then slowly increase the difficulty. And of course... Playing for points is just fine, but there has to be the right ratio of that. So maybe just like a quick point I wanted to make. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Oh, that's a beautiful point, Tomas, and that kind of makes me think of uh, a great book that is actually not tennis-related, but it's uh, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and he talks about um, the best way to learn things quickly, and it's basically you have to start in an environment that is uh, you know, low pressure so you can you know, focus on um, you know, what you need to do to improve rather than having the pressure of, say, if you're playing points and things like that to try to win the point. So you just... Like Tomas, you develop the feel and uh, rally, you know, hit rally balls that are you're capable of hitting, and then um, you know work on your technique like that. Um, so, Tomas, with your students, do you is this kind of what you do? Do you have them spend a lot of time um, just focusing on their technique and uh, stroke production rather than um, doing a lot of competitive play? I mean, what's the ratio usually for your students um, when they you train them? competitive versus um, just uh, working on strokes? Um, well, it depends. If, if I would to work you know, with competitive junior players, then, of course, there's more competition there. Um, <clears throat> and in the long term, we need to prepare them for f- competition. So even though we might be doing some rally drills, we might still, still introduce some counting. Um, it depends. But let's say with adult recreational players, with whom I work more lately, um, I focus more on, it's hard to say, I focus, I want to make sure that their mind is working properly first. So I want to make sure that they're not thinking about their strokes all the time as they play, but that they think about the ball trajectory. So the most important thing in tennis is to have an intention, a very clear intention of how you want the ball to fly. Uh, one of the most common myths in tennis is that if you have perfect technique or proper technique, meaning if you execute your stroke properly, the ball will go in. That's, that's completely wrong. So mm-hmm. the ball will go in if you have an intention and have a very clear trajectory of how you may want the ball to fly. The purpose of battery's technique is just to be more efficient. So your body works much more efficiently, much more effortlessly, and proper technique gives you the ability to control the ball better or easier. So for example, it's, with proper technique, it's easier to impart topspin on the ball 
than with improper technique. But that does not mean that the spin will just be imparted automatically. It has to be come from your intention. It has to come, do I want to impart a lot of topspin or not much topspin or I want to hit the ball flat? At what height do I want to hit the ball? Where's my target? Is it deep? Is it short? So step number one is having a very clear intention how you want the ball to fly. And so most of the times I see with adult players is that they don't have an intention because they are still lost in this myth, uh, which unfortunately is not their fault. They've been taught that, that way through other coaches because other coaches have been just correcting their technique. Um, now, just to defend the other coaches a little bit, um, and I, I used to work like that also, is because for us, the intention is completely unconscious and it's, co- it's all the time there. It is so obvious to us, to a tennis coach, to someone who's been playing tennis for many years, it is so obvious for a tennis coach to have a very clear intention of how they want the ball to fly that they don't even consider that the player doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't even consider it because they don't even ask them, right? It's so obvious to them. So if I make a quick analogy, right? If, if I wanted to teach you how to drive a new car, let's say I, you get a new car and I'm your car instructor and this car is a little bit special. Maybe it's a hybrid car or it's something electrical there. I have to teach you something. Even though you know how to drive a car, I have to teach you something, right? Now, as I'm teaching you, as you're driving the car somewhere slowly, and I'm teaching you how to use it, I assume that you're going to try and keep the car in the lane so that we don't crash, right? I don't have to tell you, uh, Merban, please keep the car in the lane so don't steer off to the right or don't steer off to the left. We don't want to crash, right? I don't have to tell you, right? (laughs) It's completely obvious that you're going to keep the car in the lane. So I can just focus on teaching you how to use the levers in the car or whatever, right? In the same way, tennis coaches assume that it is completely obvious to the player that, you know, 12 meters in front of them, there is a net, which they should try to avoid in the same way as they're trying to avoid getting off the lane when driving a car. And that 24 meters from them, there's a baseline, which they must not cross with their shot so the ball must land before the baseline and so it is completely obvious to them that you need to play in a certain trajectory over the net and make the ball land before the baseline now what they don't realize that this is not so obvious to tennis players I mean intermediate tennis players or beginners it is not so obvious they are they are because they are constantly being corrected in terms of stroke technique they develop this belief that it is the stroke technique that is going to put the ball in. But it's not. Your car does not stay in the lane right now. Maybe it will be in 10 years. <laughs> or, right? You have to steer the car in the lane. You only use the car because you can use the car in terms of acceleration or braking or you know stability or how well it goes through the turn. So that's the car's... Um, effect, right? Or, or the car's quality. So if you get a better car, you will accelerate faster, you'll be much more stable and so on. But you still have to drive it. There must be an intention behind it. So in the same way, in term, when we improve the technique of the strokes, we're just going to hit with more power and more efficiently to the body. But nothing determines in technique that the ball will go in. Okay, we have to make the ball go in. We have to have a very clear and early intention in order to make the ball go in, in order to make that technique serve us. So what I do with players first is I always investigate whether they actually have a very clear intention on every shot that they make. And many times before we go into any technique, even when it needs correcting, they start to play much, much better because their mind is now clear. Oh, I need to aim this high above the net. I need to have a clear target on the court. I need to always program a trajectory in my mind before I hit the ball. And once they do that, they realize, wow, I'm actually playing quite well. 
So once I put that thing in place, then we can start working on technique. Um, now maybe just to add quickly, when, when it comes to technique, I focus more on biomechanics lately than technique. Uh, so technique for most coaches and players is some kind of perfect form that they should copy. So they might have their uh, perfect example like Roger Federer. They're looking at how Roger Federer prepares the racket, at what height is the racket head when he prepares it, where he follows through the racket, what is the position of his shoulders or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So this is what we coaches call a form, right? Right. So it's, it's a certain, you know, external appearance of their technique, um, which might be different for Andre Agassi or, you know, Novak Djokovic or someone. Everyone has a slightly different style. So looking at the form and trying to copy that is not really the answer. So the, the real answer comes from biomechanics, which is, can you use your body efficiently to generate power? Right, And so for most of the players I work with, I try to teach them how to use their body more efficiently. And so I use certain feel-based exercises to help them feel better how they can use their legs better, how they can rotate better through the shot, how they can swing better through the shot rather than push the ball hard, and so on. So as they start to feel how they can use their body more efficiently, much more effortlessly, then together with the very clear intention, then they start to play much better. So um, it's also much faster work than trying to completely, um, you know, reprogram their technique from something that they have to something that is kind of theoretically correct. So yes, I want to point out that if I were to develop a professional tennis player, then I have to make sure that all small technical deficiencies are eliminated. But I can do that because that player trains four hours a day for 10 years. So that is possible to do. <clears throat> and that is what I try to do with a junior competitive tennis player where I have to eliminate all technical weaknesses. But when it comes to recreational tennis players, they will not train with me four hours a day for 10 years. Therefore, it is impossible to eliminate our technical deficiencies. And so we shouldn't really try to do that because it's impossible. We should just try to make the best of their current ability in the time frame that we have. And so it's much better to focus on biomechanics, which is just teaching them how to use their body better and give them a few key technical improvements. And in the time frame that they have to practice that, they will be able to achieve that and have good enough technique to play really good recreational tennis. Yeah, Tomas, thanks so much for that. I mean, it's it's definitely true that players, they, they're focusing too much on technique when they really should just focus on the intention of um, what they want to do with the ball. Because I know that for myself, when I play, a lot of times I do think of, um, uh, you know, oh, I, I need to um, rotate more, do this and that. But my, I perform my best when I tell myself things like, um, you know, I, I need to hit the ball higher or, or I tell myself, okay, I want to, you know, return the ball here or there rather than um, focusing on too much on, um, you know, my technique. And also a, a thing about biomechanics is that that's a, you make a great point because everybody is different. Everybody um, has a you know more efficient path or, than others, and so just trying to copy one person who may have a different body type than you is not the way to go. Rather, you should try to find out from great coaches like Tomas um, how you can best um, use your body most efficiently. Um, yeah, exactly. So, um, but thank you so much for all that advice on that aspect. I do want to um, shift a bit to just a mental game um, because you, in addition to your wonderful material on, on technique, you also created the Tennis Mind Game, which I'll link to the show notes. It's um, just a great, you know, great advice on uh, the mental aspect of tennis. So could you give us maybe a couple of the most important uh, mental uh, skills that players need to have to succeed in the game? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I would say that it might sound a little bit strange, but one of the key mental skills is the ability to quiet the mind. 
um, in tennis. So, in a way, I, I would say that that's a certain discipline that we have to acquire uh, because the mind is very much uh, active all the time and it tends to be active even when we play tennis. But when we play tennis, um, the goal of our mind is just to give commands to what we want to do with the ball. So I like just sort of um, make a decision and then I want the ball to go like this and then it needs to be quiet for the um, subconscious mind to do the rest and the, and the body to do its thing. So I would say one of the key things is to quiet the mind and be very clear on your intention. Uh, the second one is to to be able to maintain this concentration or to have this very clear focus on um, paying attention to the ball flight and switching this attention. So one of the difficulties in tennis is that we have to switch our attention from uh, the other side of the court. So as the ball is leaving us, we are looking at the other side of the court and we are receiving a lot of information about even our position on the court, so we get our orientation. Even though we're looking at the other side, we still realize with peripheral vision where we are on the court. So we need to know where we are on the court so that we can recover properly to the right position. And then we're also noticing where our opponent is. We're noticing where our ball is going to land. So when we're looking to the other side of the court, as the ball is leaving our racket, uh, we are receiving a lot of information. And we have to um, absorb that information. But as the, our opponent hits the ball and the ball is starting to come towards us, we must not receive a lot of information. We must block everything out of the picture and we must only focus on this ball that's coming towards us because it's very difficult to hit this fast bouncing ball in the sweet spot of the racket. Um, so we must switch our concentration just to the ball while in the mind having a very clear intention what we want to do with it. So this is um, not an easy process to, to switch all the time between, you know, like having a very wide uh, concentration and trying to absorb as much information as we can from the other side and then a split second later block everything and just focus on the incoming ball, not seeing anything else anymore and just focusing on the ball, trying to hit the ball very cleanly while knowing what to do with it. So I think that's one of the key uh, mental skills that one has to acquire in order to play well. And then the next one I would mention is emotional control or arousal control or activation control, <clears throat> which means that after we finish the point, if, if we get upset or frustrated or angry, we must be able to control these emotions in a matter of 20 seconds or less so that we find our ideal state, ideal mental state, before we start the next point. So that's also quite a difficult skill to acquire because our emotions tend to rule us and it's very difficult to break that cycle. And maybe as the last, maybe like a long-term mental skill is, I would say that one has to investigate their limiting beliefs because, because of those beliefs, there's a lot of frustration or, or anger coming up. So as an example of a limiting belief might be, you know, I shouldn't have missed this stroke, right, this shot. So that's obviously a limiting belief because... Uh, there's no one in the world that always hits every ball in, right? You can look at the pros and even they will miss sitters, right? So expecting of yourself not to miss a certain ball is unrealistic. And so, so because of that, the anger arises and then we have a problem with that. So that's a limiting belief. So believing that you shouldn't have missed that ball is not true, right? And that's because that clashes with the reality of what happens all the time, we get upset. So our goal is to align ourselves with the reality of life and tennis 
and then we won't get so much upset. So you might ask me, well, what is the real? What is the the real belief? Is that the real belief is that there is only a probability of me hitting a certain ball, even if that's a very easy ball. I still have only a probability. So I might have a 90% probability of hitting that ball in, but I never have a 100% probability. So when I accept that I have a 90% probability of hitting this ball in and I miss it, then I know that the other 10% just happened. So, okay, this is the other 10% that just happened right now, so I accept it. I know that I can't hit every ball. And therefore, I don't get upset. And so, I mean, that's just one quick example. But there are a lot of limiting beliefs that players have. um, And that's what causes them to get upset in certain situations. So in the long term, uh, they should investigate their thinking uh, in order to make sure that their thinking is aligned with the reality of the physical world we live in. Yeah, Tomas, that's uh, just a wonderful amount of information about the mental game. And I, I just have to agree with you, uh, especially because, uh, you know, one feeds into the other. When somebody has a limiting de- uh, belief, which we see a lot on the court, there's a lot of players who, you know, maybe they're playing well and then they, they miss a ball and they they feel like they should not miss any ball, you know, that they've ever hit. And then um, because of that, you hear them um, shouting or screaming. And then what happens is that, the emotional control is lost, and then, you know, they they waste a lot of energy. You know, they um, and then they become tired during the match uh, earlier than they should have been, and, or also, um, then they stop concentrating on what they should be doing and what their intentions should be, and rather they, you know, they get um, pissed off, and then their game suffers from that. Um, and, and also um, about uh, quieting the mind. Another wonderful point, um, I've actually recently been reading The Inner Game of Tennis by W. Timothy Calloway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm sure that Tomas has read it too, but it's just a wonderful book about being able to quiet the mind. And so um, that's uh, extremely important and helps. Um, and uh, I guess just a quick question, I'm curious. Um, have you ever tried uh, uh, meditation, Tomas, uh, you know, to quiet the mind? Um. Yeah, I did try once, but it didn't really work for me so much. But um, I do want to mention that uh, for some years, when I was younger, I came across uh, progressive relaxation technique. Hmm. And uh, I used to do that a lot uh, in the evening before I went to sleep, just on my own. Because, I mean, I was convinced through various books that I started to read about sports psychology and sports success and so on that I realized that, you know, uh, how much the mental uh, aspect of the game has to do with success or it has to do with performing the best you can, performing mm-hmm. to the best of your ability. And so I did, you know, the, the authors of those books did convince me for me to start training on my own. So what I was doing, I was doing progressive relaxation technique or something very similar in the evening for quite a long time, like I think for at least one year. Um, And I think that also helped me um, with concentration. But I also think that playing a lot of tennis and playing a lot of sports um, kind of automatically makes you focus because the ball takes all your focus and you have certain drills to do especially when you train and so you just kind of train your mind to be very focused on the task at hand and so I think that's one way how I maybe developed it without uh, like being being able to quiet my mind and able to focus without working on meditation but I've heard, I've heard good uh, feedback from people that were doing meditation so um, I have nothing against it. I would certainly recommend people to try it. Thanks, Tomas. And yeah, I just again, you know, I think that this, you know, the great mental training that you've undergone yourself is that re- you know it really feeds into the physical because it's it's all about telling yourself what what you want to happen, and then from that the physical actions follow and the technique follows and everything. Um, yeah. But but Tomas, I do. Um, 
I have a friend who's a big fan of yours, uh, Bill, and he he's been a huge fan of your material. But he says that he struggles when you know very f- fast balls are hit to him while he's at the net, and he's wondering how how best to handle these shots. Um, you know, to anticipate them, and how just you go about when you know that somebody's going to hit a hard ball at you while you're at the net. Mm. Um. Yeah. Okay. So I think. Uh, maybe there's no super quick solution to that. Mm-hmm. So in order to, you know, react quickly, you need to train that. Um, so I would, I would uh, more guide Bill in terms of developing those skills in the long term more and more rather than for him to look for some magical information that is going to help him tomorrow. Uh, I don't think there is any magical information that can help him tomorrow. Um, but like in the long term, so I think one thing that might be a problem there, so I'm just based on my experience, what happens with players. So, so one thing is that they might be afraid. They might be afraid that the ball is going to hit them, you know, in the face and so on. So there's this very instinctive uh, reaction. It's, it's not something that you should be ashamed of. It's very instinctive reaction for for us to be afraid of being hit in the face mm-hmm. um, with a fast incoming ball. So we will, our body will naturally, instinctively react to protect us. So that will fight against our desire to hit a good volley. So one way would be to, to get rid of that fear, or at least to minimize it. And um, like one thing that I did with young tennis players is... Um, I would hit uh, foam balls at them. So when they were at the net, they were young. That I, when I noticed they were afraid of the ball coming towards them, rather than shouting at them, don't be afraid, right? We need to like, teach, because it's more subconscious that is afraid, not so much conscious, right? So we need to train the subconscious. So, so I would hit foam balls at them and I ask them that they let the ball hit them, right? So sometimes I would ask them, okay, volley the ball back, but sometimes I would... Ask them, okay, turn around and I'm going to hit the ball this in your back, right? So it was a foam, very soft ball. And, and yet when I was first time hitting the ball, they were like twisting their bodies, expect, expecting some kind of huge pain, <laughs> you know, uh, from the hit. But when that didn't happen a few times, then they relaxed a little bit. So they realized, okay, this foam ball will not hit me very hard. Mm. So that would be the first step in just trying to calm down the mind even when something is flying towards you very fast that you know on a very basic level you you eliminate that fear right so once they were experienced that and they were not afraid anymore then I would switch to soft balls and I would hit soft balls at them and sometimes I would ask them okay let me hit you with a soft ball not too hard but just that you experience this huge pain that you're afraid of that you realize that it's not as huge pain as you think it is right so yes the ball might hit you it might hurt but you're gonna make it right <laughs> uh, you're not gonna bleed or have a broken arm right so that you just experience that a few times that uh, you can handle it right it might be uncomfortable but you can handle it because what your fear is telling you is that it's much worse than you actually think, right? So your fearing is fear is telling you that you're gonna be, you know, hit unconscious or something like that, right? Right. So I think in one way this would be like a process I would go through and you know maybe ask Bill, okay, let me hit the ball at you. I won't hit it too hard, but let let the ball hit you so that you actually experience this horrific pain that you're afraid of and you realize it's not as bad as you think. So once he can understand, okay, I can handle it even if the ball hits me, then eventually we can eliminate the fear factor. So I think the fear factor might uh, hold him back a little bit. So secondly, he would need to practice a lot of fastball exchanges. So the best way to do that is, for example, playing volley-to-volley drills with his partner uh, in a friendly manner first. So they play volley to volley from the service line and they keep closing in on the net. So they're both closing in, taking their time away more and more. So that would just long-term develop better reactions to the ball. So then they can do various variations, you know, hitting cross-court or or mixing directions and so on. But 
having this same principle, uh, experiencing a lot of very fast balls and, and just asking your body to react quickly. And then the body and the mind will adjust through training to handle faster balls. Well, Tomas, again, just uh, unbelievably wonderful advice. And uh, I, d- I agree on both points because first off, you know, you definitely see people when the ball is hit hard, they instinctively um, either uh, go backwards or go away from the ball. And that's definitely because of the fear of hitting the ball. So once you take that away, then uh, it'll definitely facilitate the ability to, um, you know, move toward the ball and, um, you know, not be afraid of making contact with it. Um, And and then also it's just, um, you know, for example, for Bill, uh, like you said, it's just a matter of getting... Uh, used to the environment of getting uh, hit a lot of uh, hard balls at him so that he can learn to anticipate things like that. Yeah, just some deliberate practice, you know, not just leaving it to a chance where this happens, let's say, 10 times per hour when he plays doubles, but taking five minutes every practice or 10 minutes and just doing fast ball exchanges with his partner because that in the long term will improve his ability to handle faster balls. For sure, Tomas. And, you know, I just also just, again, want to mention Tomas's unbelievable work at his website, www.fieldtennis.net. Um, he's just put up so many quality articles and videos, uh, just uh, amazing advice. Um, for example, I, I was checking out Tomas's uh, article on serve technique, uh, which is fieldtennis.net slash serve dash technique. And I'll have that in the show notes. And uh, just a great um, great job of breaking down the serve and um, you know how to improve it. And he also has a course. It, you can find it at www.serveunlock.com, which I'm definitely excited to uh, check out uh, hopefully soon. Um, that goes deeper into uh, how to develop a, a smooth and effective serve technique that you're going to be confident in and uh, you know generate a power easier and more effortlessly. Um, and I know that with all the uh, great articles and, and information that he's uh, produced for us for free, that that course I'm sure will be awesome. And so I, I look forward again to checking that one out. It's at a www.serveunlock.com. Um, but Tomas, you know, thanks again for taking so much time out of your day to, to speak with us. And I just want to um, I'll just give you the opportunity to uh, give out your contact information and anything else you want to uh, speak about. Yeah, I'm really grateful, I mean, for you uh, having me on the show. Um, I'm happy to share my ideas. Uh, you know, I'm daily on the court with tennis players. I understand their pain. Um, so I'm doing my best to help them out. Uh, tennis is, as I said, quite a challenging sport. So you have to go uh, solving the problems in the right way if you want to make it work. So um, I can be reached through my website, fieldtennis.net. Uh, you can just contact me through my contact form and just uh, share your uh, thoughts or ideas or questions. Uh, many times when I get questions, from players, um, you know, I can't answer directly immediately because it requires a little bit more thought and explanation, mm-hmm. but I keep them in mind for my future articles, so I'm always uh, looking forward to questions. Fantastic, Tomas. Well, I know I'm going to go back and listen to this uh, multiple times because there's just a lot of, uh, you know, amazing advice um, that's going to really improve a lot of people's tennis games. And, you know, again, I really appreciate everything you're doing for tennis and advancing the sport and helping people um, become better tennis players and people through your training. Um, so I, I really hope to speak with you again. And thanks. And, you know, I, I really appreciate everything and uh, for you to being on the show today. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm really glad to, to be a part of your show. show. Thanks. Thanks. All right, thanks, Tomas. Uh, you take care. Uh, you too. Bye-bye. I hope you learned a ton from my interview with Tomas. I really enjoyed all the wonderful advice that Tomas gave us, and it's just very interesting the way he approaches the game. And I think if you employ at least one of the advices that he gave us on the show, uh, I think your game will really improve by leaps and bounds. 
Now, I've learned a ton from his videos as well as everyone else who has viewed them. And I'm really confident in recommending that you check out his Serve Unlocked course. Now, you can check that course out at tennisfiles.com slash serve unlocked. So that's tennisfiles.com slash S-E-R-V-E-U-N-L-O-C-K-E-D. And that is an affiliate link. So if you do click on that and happen to purchase the course from Tomas, then I will get a small commission. So just wanted to disclose that to you. But um, I really am confident in all the teachings that he's given. And uh, I definitely am going to be uh, learning from that course as well myself. I also really encourage you guys, if you want to get my episodes automatically downloaded to your computer, that you subscribe to the show. Um, It's real easy. You know, if you just go to Whatever podcast app you're using, whether it be iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podcast Republic, Stitcher, or any other app out there, and just hit the subscribe button. And then that way, as soon as I publish an episode, it'll be automatically downloaded to your app and ready for you to listen to. Thanks so much, guys, for listening to the show. Uh, I really am, am truly passionate about helping all of you to improve your tennis game Tennis is just an amazing, wonderful sport, and it's just uh, so much fun for me and for all of you to employ new strategies, push yourself, and really uncover the true talents that all of you guys have, persevere over adversity, and and win and improve. So I you know, wish you all the best. Have a wonderful day, and thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for supporting me and everything that I'm doing for you guys. Take care and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.